You're listening to the True to Life Podcast, a show where we discuss life and analyze ideas as followers of Jesus in a post-Christian context. The True to Life Podcast is hosted by Aaron and Carson, two ordinary guys learning how to live with purpose in a changing world. Together, we'll discover how to be present with God and others in a way that is true to life. Hello and welcome to the True to Life podcast. This is Aaron Schaefer. I hope you are doing so well today. I will not be joined by Carson Rogers as we uh, as we talked about on our last podcast. I'm just going to take a a, a quick few moments here to run through um, what our travels have looked like. My wife and I, as we uh, temporarily packed up and drove across the U.S. to Phoenix, Arizona, from our home in Raleigh, North Carolina. And just what a wonderful time and adventure that's been together, how much we've enjoyed it, and to give you a few highlights of uh, what you can expect if you ever just decide to do that. Um, Again, the reason why we decided to do it is because I work remotely. She had the opportunity to take a travel nurse assignment in Phoenix, Arizona, and we just thought, why not? This would be a lot of fun. We've always wanted to see this part of the country. And we're in what we very much hope are the end stages of the adoption process as we're um, trying to adopt two beautiful little children and so looking forward to their arrival and um, just have a a few free months here before um, that will hopefully start uh, drawing to a conclusion. So we had some time here and have always wanted to see uh, the Grand Canyon some of the amazing national parks that are out here in, uh, you know, New Mexico, Phoenix, California, uh, Idaho, ne- Nevada area. And Phoenix has proved to be a tremendous jumping off point. Um, we have a, a fun little map where you can uh, check off the national parks you've been to. And uh, we're, we're clipping along at a fairly good rate here um, based out of uh, Phoenix. So far, we've seen um, such very cool places as uh, Petrified National Forest, uh, Sedona, Red Rocks, Grand Canyon, Glen Canyon, um, Blue Mesa, uh, Tucumcari, Antelope Canyon. Uh, they're all just pretty close or at least on the way as you're getting here. So I just wanted to run through what that drive looks like across uh, the U.S., pretty much the southern part and uh, some of the amazing natural wonders that we've seen here, and a few reflections on growing closer to God and my wife as we have uh, been out here. Uh, Pretty much just her and I, although we've had the opportunity to have some visits from some close friends and family that we have tremendously enjoyed. Um, And for those of you who are interested, the puppies are doing very well. They're laying on my feet right now and have uh, thrived in the, uh, the Phoenix climate. They love taking their their little daily walks, and I think that they have enjoyed as much as we have uh, the startling dearth of humidity out here in Phoenix. Um, As I talked about with Carson, um, the dry heat is a real thing, and I think it bears repeating as often as possible that the less humidity you can subject yourself to in your human experience, the better. And so if you ever find yourself out here in Phoenix, Arizona, um, in a a humidity-less place for the most part, um, it's just a transcendent experience when you go outside and it says 110 or 115 degrees. You find yourself in the the shade of a palm tree. Um, just it's just beautiful. There's there's no sticky heat. Yeah, it's hot, um, but right now it's actually getting on toward fall, and you can uh, you can really enjoy some beautiful fall weather right now also with an absence of humidity. So uh, that's been really nice. So us and the puppies have both enjoyed that. Um, this last weekend, they were able to get out and run around in a, um, I think it was a state park. Uh, Candace would know for sure, but we uh, we had a ton of fun just exploring up around the Sedona area and took the puppies and they were able to uh, run around in a, a park that bordered, I think it was a giant uh, ranch where they were running a lot of uh, cows. And I'm going to imagine buffalo just because obviously that's what I want to imagine. And so Russell and Topanga got to uh, run around to their heart's content and play a Great big game of fetch and uh, find mom, which has actually become one of their funnest games. Uh, Candace is good at finding places to hide, and uh, Topanga is mediocre at finding her. Although Russell 
um, even though he's not much to look at from a size perspective and is the, the lesser part of his ancestral wolf, um, is an amazing little tracker dog and has good instincts. Um, he's, he's doofy in absolutely other, every other respect, but he's incredible at finding us if we uh, go hide behind a bush or a tree or a rock or some other instance of nature. So they've, they've really enjoyed playing that. Um, also, this uh, last weekend, we were able to go around uh, Sedona, uh, Arizona and spend some time in a, uh, a wonderful little Airbnb that had, I think it was actually in a dark sky community because it afforded us some amazing uh, views of the sky and the Milky Way in particular. Um, and if you're incredibly lucky enough to follow me on Instagram for the three or so posts I do a year, um, you can see that we actually were able to do some astral photography, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but it was uh, just amazing to see the Milky Way uh, I think if you're anything like me, you forget that we live inside a large spiral galaxy called the Milky Way and that there are some places from this Earth where you can actually look up and see it. So I think it's the first time in over 25 years that I've seen the Milky Way. I remember when we used to live in Asheville, North Carolina, my dad and mom bought a big red telescope that was super fun to play with. Um, and I remember my dad saying, you can see the Milky Way, which sort of confused me because I didn't realize it was the galaxy in which we were actually existing um, and that it just traveled in a great big band around us, even though from our perspective, it looks like we're on a little bit sideways. Um, so. All of those things, just happy and uh, excited to talk to you a little bit about and just give you a recap of, uh, of what we've done. So um, in August, <clears throat> we headed out from North Carolina and decided, all right, we're going to take this kind of slow. Um, if you just do a straight shot down 40 to basically Phoenix, it's about 32 hours straight. So uh because my wife's a humane person and was in charge of planning the trip, she didn't necessarily subject us to just a straight shot down 40. Uh, we took about four days, and it was actually a really enjoyable experience. We went North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, is my recollection. I may be desperately wrong about that, but I'm reasonably sure that's the route we went on. Um, so for the most part, you just drive straight down um, Interstate 40, or as the Californians would say, the 40, although I, I don't know if they actually call 40 that, um, but just specifically to annoy my uh, California friends, I will always absolutely refuse to call an interstate uh, the number. So the one is not the one, it is the, the Interstate 1 uh, to me. Sorry for that. Um, so fun things that we saw along the way. Uh, this is a little bit out of order, but I'm just excited to talk about it, so I'm going to start with it, is uh, Tucumcari. If you ever watched Cars, uh, the Disney Pixar, I think, a little animated film, um, there, the town of Radiator Springs is actually based off a real place called Tucumcari, and um, it has the best gas station in the world and a mural of a T-Rex uh, that we photographed as a mural of a T-Rex eating Russell the puppy, Russell, our puppy. Um, it's, it's a really good picture, and he looks duly terrified, but it's just a big mural of a T-Rex, and they have a dinosaur museum there, which is super cool. Also, I got to see dinosaur tracks, but more about that later. Um, so, Tucumcari, super cool place. It's off historic Route 66 and just a short bit off I-40 um, in New Mexico. So, that was super fun. And uh, also, as we went along, speaking of murals, um, it was on Candace's heart that we should stop and take pictures of lots of murals. And as a, as a man, obviously, I was like, why? But then I realized uh, that it was actually a really fun thing to do, um, stopping in all the different states and in all the different towns to look at the local artwork, take pictures of the murals and see all of the, uh, the history and artistry and the reflection of the, the essence of the towns that are represented in the murals that they do. So if you uh, are, are more lucky and you follow Candace on Instagram, I'm pretty sure you can find a lot of really cool mural pictures of uh, us and the puppies, the puppies in various states of uh, either panic or repose uh, based on whether or not other puppies were walking by as we were taking our pictures of murals. Um, but those were a lot of fun. Um, was was really far more interesting than I thought it would be to go mural hunting as we went across the U.S. and um, I'm glad that she built that into the plans. 
So Candace is a wonderful planner, and I appreciate that she wanted to see all the murals. Her personality type um, has blessed me very much in that she enjoys uh, planning. I very much do not enjoy planning. I can do it if called upon or forced to, and I, I hope do a good job of it. But I really enjoy if other people who enjoy planning make the plan, and then I just get to go along with them. And on our uh, trip across the U.S., uh, murals were one of the things that I really enjoyed seeing with her. It was also fun to stop at uh, towns along the way and see just interesting little uh, things about those towns. Um, another thing that I thought was really neat as we were driving across the U.S. was wind turbines. So you wouldn't think it, but wind turbines are actually massive structures and you're driving sort of underneath them as you go by it's uh, endlessly fascinating just to look at them as you go um, I don't know why they're so fascinating but they really are so if you ever have a uh, wind turbine come across your path just avail yourself of that opportunity and enjoy it one of my most favorite things as we were driving across the US were road signs I am from North Carolina slash Tennessee and although those states do most things very well there are some ways in which they fall short significantly, and I didn't even realize that until we were in other states and reading their far more helpful road signs. Once you get into the, uh, let's see, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas sort of the world, you start seeing road signs that become ever more passive-aggressive and then aggressive-aggressive, but only in the best way that say, if you're driving in the left lane and you're going slower than the speed of traffic, get out of the way and be a decent human being. Now, obviously, there's not enough room on a road sign to compress quite all that into it, but it, that, that's the essence of it. So starting in Arkansas in a pretty much friendly tone, and then by the time you get to New Mexico, it's get out of the left lane and uh, making it abundantly clear that the left lane is for passing and going fast, and the right lane is for um, just just you doing you. And that made traffic just run so stunningly much better than it often does around uh, Raleigh and the various parts of Tennessee that I've infested uh, that my, my mind was just blown by how much the, the local population of a state can be taught to be uh, better and more considerate drivers uh, just because of angry road signs. There was also a lovely road sign that I saw the other day in Arizona that said, the bridge ices before the road does. And if you're from North Carolina or Tennessee and probably other parts of the U.S., uh, you realize that a lot of signs say bridge ices before road. My wife never had a problem understanding that. However, it was always one of the biggest struggles of my life up until I turned 18, trying to figure out what the sign meant when it says bridge ices before road. I'm going to blame it on reading a lot of English books when I was little because somehow that syntax got twisted around and I didn't realize it said, this bridge is going to get icy before the road gets icy. I thought it was telling me there's going to be ice on the road before you get to the bridge and it always confused me very much. So having a sign that spelled it out for me uh, would have been very helpful for 7-year-old through 18-year-old me that was always very confused at the... Uh, the lack of explanation in our Tennessee signs. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll stop there before I ramble. But there are just a lot of really interesting things that as you drive across I-40 from North Carolina out to the Phoenix area, um, I recognize that it's not quite a straight shot, but the vast majority is on I-40. It's a very, very interesting drive. One thing that you would assume you would encounter was vast flat, boring country for long periods of time, and that was not at all our experience, even though it was, to some extent, our expectation. The drive, you just go through so many different parts of nature and so many different parts of America um, that, at least for us, it really held our attention the vast majority of the time, um, and also Candace had been kind-hearted enough to put together a, a playlist of music upon uh, which we could both agree, which is no small feat, but uh, fortunately she has a very good taste in music when she when she wants to and isn't listening to Taylor Swift, and so she was able to put together a, a much more humane playlist that um, kept us both uh, quite engaged musically, and then the outside world kept us engaged uh, visually as we went by. 
um, because even such potentially boring places, with with apologies to Arkansas and Oklahoma um, and Texas, I suppose, even such places as those, as you're driving through them, really are places of great natural beauty and interest as you're driving through, and there's always something interesting to see if you've never been there, and that really was our experience, because as I said, she broke it up into about four uh, days with uh, pre-planned stops at hotels and then fun things to do along the way. And as long as you're not just stuck in the car driving for nine hours, never getting out and just uh, encountering endless flat boringness along the way, it can actually be a really fun time. And it was for us. Uh, we had fun conversations. I don't think we had a single argument really that lasted more than a few minutes other than the... Um, Oh, there was one, uh, but it wasn't our fault. It was the uh, the great Arkansas, no, 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 Chattanooga, no, Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. It was the great Memphis, Tennessee uh, barbecue argument of 2021, um, but really wasn't our fault that much. Um, we did our research, found a great barbecue uh, restaurant. They messed up the order a bit. We were hungry. We had a small kerfuffle, and then we worked through it in a way that I was very proud of, turned around, went back, got the order corrected, and then went and had a really fun picnic in a park with the puppies. And so uh, aside from that potentially disastrous event that actually turned out to be a very fun time, um, I don't remember there being any spats or arguments along the way, and uh, I was proud of both of us for keeping our traveling composure as we went. Um, so fun things we saw, Tucumcari, the murals, wind turbines, cool signs, and the biggest thing, um, as I've alluded to, I think, when I was talking to Carson, was the vastness of it all. So I have a lot to say on this, and I'll try not to ramble for too long, but the idea of being people that live most of our time in houses, and the idea of being blessed with such things as roofs, electricity, and air conditioning can seem like a wonderful thing, and it is. But I was really honestly taken aback and surprised by the vastness of creation and the vastness of America. And I understand that if you go to a lot of places, they'll, they'll be very vast. I'm not claiming America has a monopoly on bigness if you drive across it. I assume that a train ride across Russia or a, a covered wagon ride across Australia or however people in Australia do it. Uh, would also be quite vast and uh, breathtaking. Um, so, so no shade thrown there, but just saying for the experience that I did recently have, driving across America from North Carolina to Arizona on I-40 was a tremendous experience because as the world does flatten out and as you, uh, as you begin to see further, and especially as you have the experience of looking almost forever across a plane, and then seeing a mountain rise up in the distance, it's an almost indescribable feeling of vastness and an accompanying feeling of the smallness of you that provides you a sense of awe that I really haven't experienced up to this point other than the times where you just lay down and look at the night sky. I think that's been a similar experience I've had. But to have it in the daytime... And to have it with uh, Candace and the puppies as we were driving along and to be able to reminisce and reflect and talk about um, the largeness and beauty of nature as we went was a really special experience to have uh, with Candace and um, to reflect on and to always be able to think about. Um, and I'm honestly excited for the, the drive back east as well to be able to uh, recapitulate that drive. But it honestly does um, draw me closer to God in a way that I hadn't thought about um, or really expected to experience. Um, we were very much hoping that our, our time away and our time together would be a time of spiritual and a relational renewal, and, and I think it has been. And one of the main ways in which I felt renewed is uh, reading the book of Psalms in concert with looking out at the vastness of nature. Um, going back to it, as you start to get into, you know, the Oklahoma and Texas area, um, you can kind of sigh and roll your eyes at the fact that it, 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 is, it is pretty flat in some places, but you have the wind turbines to look at when it's flat, so no loss there. But nature, the trees start to change and to become bigger or smaller or scrubbier or non-existent. The grass changes, the mountains and the foothill change the rocks change, 
And as you go through uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona in particular for us, it was just one shifting landscape after another that just became more and more complex and beautiful uh, and even breathtaking. Like we would go over a rise or come around a corner and see something we had never seen before and never anticipated seeing before. And often that was a feeling of vastness and beauty and complexity and newness just all transposed together uh, that was literally a awesome and wonderful and almost breathtaking experience for us. And because you're out in nature and you can see the sky and the bigness of it all, um, if you're open to experiencing God in that way, it really does just draw you closer um, to God. And then if you're reading through a book like the Psalms, where you have uh, David and the other psalmists who spent quite a bit of time outside um, singing about and composing and reflecting on God in light of the vastness and the beauty of nature, oftentimes it really ties that all together and makes for a worshipful experience if you let it. Um, even, uh, <laughs> even something like the curvature of the earth is uh, new to someone like me who has been surrounded uh, beautifully uh, by mountains and foothills North Carolina. You, you can't see apparently more than about 14 miles of ground or ocean at a time. So like I said, when the flat plains went on farther than that, it was just an amazing sight to see the earth just run out. Uh, but in the times where it runs out and then you see mountains rising in the distance beyond that, it's a really special feeling. It's almost a visceral, physical sense of freedom, one that I've never really experienced before that comes from looking out over an infinite horizon of land. It feels like the opposite of claustrophobia, if that makes sense. And it's a compellingly and tremendously relaxing feeling like there are no constraints or shackles and that you could just go on forever in one direction and never stop. And uh, I was also wondering if that was one of the draws of a, an ocean for a sailor. Um, I can imagine that being out at sea and experiencing that constant beauty and vastness would be a tremendously liberating and viscerally freeing feeling. Um, like I said, being from the East Coast, I've never really experienced a view or a feeling like that on land. Uh, when, when I was young, like I said, when we lived in uh, Weaverville, North Carolina, just outside of Asheville, there was no, or not a lot, especially at that time, light pollution in the sky. I just remember laying on the grass at night, looking at the stars for hours, and it just brings you so close to God, again, if you let it, and if you're looking for that, um, that it's just an amazing, worshipful experience. I can imagine that if there is no conception of God in your life, or if you're not looking for that to draw you closer to God, then it would occasion in you some sort of a very interesting experience and I'm always interested to talk to people about what that experience is for them if they don't believe in a God or if they don't have that conception of God um, but for me certainly it has brought me closer to him um, so <laughs> also where we're staying we have a couple of pools that are uh, open at night and I've spent more than a few hours so far going out at night and floating in a pool and watching the clouds and the stars go by and at night, when everything is quiet and you're alone with your thoughts, you're also alone with God. And I've really enjoyed floating in the pool and reading the Psalms while I've done it. And just reflecting on how big God is, how infinite his power is, and how it, incredible it is that he specifically cares about you and me. And during this time, especially of political and financial and national travail, it's really comforting to look up at the endless sky and realize you can speak out into the night and the one who created it all will hear you. Um, just the fact that God hears our prayers, hears us when we're talking to him, that there's a creature out there that's so infinitely large that hears us when we talk is a, it's a, to me, a shocking feeling when you actually think about it. And when you turn all the noise off in your life and you turn all the lights off and you go outside and you just lay down and look out at the night sky and then you talk to it and you think about the fact that the creator's out there actually listening to you. Um, if that's true, and I believe it is, that's an astounding feeling. So when you're just surrounded by the silence and the stillness, 
you speak and God listens. That's, that's a special thing, something we can have any time. But in the world where we've just subjected ourselves to, to lights and noise and TikToks um, constantly, uh, it's, it's a hard thing to recapture sometimes away from the, the rattle and the hum and the sounds and distractions and alone with the literally endless creator of all things that you can speak and listen. Um, as, as you know, whenever I get to do an episode without Carson, I, I miss him very much, but I tend to replace him with GK Chesterton. So bear with me for a second. Um, one of the, well, certainly the most formidable book, out, or, uh, well, that and formative book outside of the Bible that I read growing up is, uh, Orthodoxy by GK Chesterton. Um, if you haven't read it, you should read it. Um, if you remember from last episode, I think I was, uh, yelling at Carson for, not having finished the copy I gave him, um, but maybe at some point he'll he'll finish that and then we can talk about it. Um, but nevertheless, uh, he talked about how we've lost, in many ways, our ability to be amazed by nature, uh, to be amazed by the astounding vastness of the universe God created, and how we've lost touch with the feeling and emotion of feeling small in the presence of nature and nature's God. So when he talks about that, he's putting into the context of talking about what makes a fairy tale great and such a great and enduring story. Um, It's because the main character in a fairy tale is small. So his main point here is talking about if we can recapture the feeling of smallness of ourselves, we'll then be able to recapture the feeling of awe that we feel in the presence of God in nature. Our problem is, in uh, in modernity, especially with all the lights and sounds and noise that we have, all the endless distractions, is that we've lost that feeling of smallness. We've lost our proximity to something that's so vast and great in, re- in relation to ourselves. And uh, the subject matter of a fairy tale in the way that Chesterton describes it is really interesting in this respect. So just a couple of very small, I promise, quotes from him although you should really go read the whole book. It'll do your heart good. Uh, So Chesterton says, when talking about a fairy tale, he says, The elementary wonder here, however, is not a mere fancy derived from fairy tales. On the contrary, all the fire of fairy tales is derived from this, that we all like astonishing tales because they touch the nerve of the ancient instinct of astonishment. So this is me again. So astonishment can only happen when we feel small and the thing we're being astonished by is big. And Chesterton then segues into talking about humility. And proper humility, of course, is an appropriate smallness or an appropriate humbleness. So he says, Humility was largely meant as a restraint upon the arrogance and infinity of the appetite of man. Man's very power of enjoyment destroyed half of his joys. By asking for pleasure, he lost the chief pleasure, for the chief pleasure is surprise. This is Aaron again. I just think that's an amazing quote. I'll read it again. By asking for pleasure, he lost the chief pleasure, for the chief pleasure is surprise. Hence it became evident that if a man would make his world large, he must always be making himself small. Even the haughty visions, the tall cities, and the toppling pinnacles are the creations of humility. Giants that tread down forests like grass are the creations of humility. Towers that vanish upwards above the loneliest star are the creations of humility. For towers are not tall unless we look up at them, and giants are not giants unless they're larger than we. All this giantesque imagination, which is perhaps the mightiest of the pleasures of man, is at bottom entirely humble. It is impossible without humility to enjoy anything. So I thought as I was looking out, this is Aaron again, um, I thought as I was looking up at the stars or out across the endless uh, landscapes of nature that if everything just becomes larger and louder and more violent and more attractive and more flashy and attention-grabbing, it ultimately robs us of the pleasure of the nature that God has created because those things just grab our attention more and more and more 
and we're unable to quiet ourselves sufficiently to sit back and look up at the stars or look out over a beautiful uh, landscape or oceanscape or starscape or anyscape. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a context in which I think humanity was created to live. If you think about the uh, ancient peoples up until really, I guess, the Industrial Revolution, so everything prior to the last couple of hundred years, humanity every night was subjected to the vastness of the night sky, the undiluted and unlight polluted night sky where you can see all of the constellations, the Milky Way, the lights, all of the beauty and vastness of God's creation as opposed to now when we go inside and we see, I guess, the, the vastness of a Netflix catalog or, or whatever it is that we distract ourselves with and we're hidden and we're sheltered from that feeling of being made to feel small and placed in a proper humility next to our Creator. And that's not a bad thing. It's a thing that I think brings you in touch with something um, inside yourself that we've often lost touch of. I know that I oftentimes have which is a reverence, a reverential awe of who God is and the fact that he loves me and cared for me and, and cared to send his son to die for me so that I could have relationship with him. All of that takes on such a deeper and greater meaning for me when I'm outside looking out at the vastness of creation, which speaks to the vastness of its creator. So just been an amazing experience. I have loved it. Um, moving on to something smaller but um, equally attention-grabbing, at least for me, is trees. Um, I've always been very interested in trees, always loved them, and I've always been an admirer of how they do what they do. They grow out of the ground, they put out their leaves, and they take light and turn it into energy. And they pull gallons and hundreds of gallons of water up from the ground and nourish themselves um, and especially being out here in Phoenix, we have palm trees, which to me are exotic, amazing, wonderful things that for whatever reason just capture my imagination and my attention for long periods of time. And so during the daytime, as I've been floating around in our, in our uh, swimming pools here, um, I've had the opportunity to just gaze up and look at palm trees and admire them just doing their thing. And uh, there's, there's a poem, uh, again, because Carson's not here, I can subject you to, to poems, so sorry, not sorry. Uh, there's a poem I've always enjoyed called Trees, a very imaginative title by Joyce Kilmer. And um, it's, a, it's a short little poem, but I think it's a, a bit profound. So I'm just going to make you listen to it real quick. Uh, what she says in the poem Trees is, I think I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose branches snow has lain, who intimately lives with the rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. And it's just a simple little poem, but it's a reflection of the vastness and complexity of nature, and again, nature's God, where you're looking at something as seemingly simple as a tree, a tree that's just all around us. There's trees everywhere, but I would guess that we probably never slow down or stop to think about the mystery and the magic of what goes into making a tree. Like there's nothing we could do as, as a human race to make a tree, but God has just spangled the entire landscape with them and they're everywhere. Um, and if you, uh, if you get to see something as cool as a palm tree, and stare at it for uh, for moments and moments on end, uh, then it's just a fun experience if you take some time to do that. So uh, I'll get off my tree soapbox there. Uh, moving on to a few of the national parks that we've seen, um, one of my favorites so far has been the Petrified Forest National Park. This is one that we actually saw, um, kudos to Candace's planning again, on the way here. Um, according to the official literature of uh, Petrified Forest National Park, they describe petrified wood being found in the park and the surrounding region as being made up of almost solid quartz. So each piece is like a giant crystal, 
often sparkling in the sunlight as if covered by glitter. This is still their literature here. The rainbow of colors is produced by the impurities in the quartz, such as iron, carbon, and manganese. Still them talking. A long, long time ago, the logs washed into an ancient river system and were buried quick enough and deep enough by massive amounts of sediment and debris also carried in the water that oxygen was cut off and decay slowly slowed the process that would now take centuries. Minerals, including silica, dissolved from the volcanic ash, absorbed into the porous wood over hundreds of thousands of years. Apologies to any young earth creationists, potentially even including me. Um, <clears throat> hundreds of thousands of years crystallized within the cellular structure, replacing the organic matter as it broke down over time. Sometimes crushing or decaying uh, left cracks in the logs. Here, large jewel-like crystals of clear quartz, purple amethyst, yellow citrine, and smoky quartz formed. So that, again, was their official literature description of Petrified Forest National Park. It's really beautiful because as you drive through there, you can see ancient logs that are just laying there that are um, crystallized into, well, crystal, um, that are beautiful. Um, it's also home to the um, Blue Mesa area, part of the Petrified Forest. I've never seen something so beautifully illustrative of how sediments flowed together and made rock in such a beautiful way. The Blue Mesa section of the uh, Petrified Forest Park is definitely one of the most beautiful and magnificent things I've seen. Um, Candace and I were uh, very lucky to be able to just drive through. You don't do out, you don't get out and do a lot of walking there, um, but you can drive for I think it's almost like 30 miles um, in Blue Blue Mesa and the rest of the Petrified Forest, and you go through and you just see incredible layers of sedimentation, and then scattered around just hither and thither are uh, beautiful old pieces of petrified wood. And if you go to the Google machine and look them up, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's just a marvelous thing to see, utterly unlike anything that we have back east. Um, and one of the main attractions for uh, things we were looking forward to seeing uh, when we came here. So that has been uh, certainly one of our most uh, favorite experiences was uh, Blue Mesa and the uh, Petrified Forest National Park. From there, we left and we started to head out towards Phoenix. Now, this was probably the most, uh, up to that point, surprising part of our trip because um, we uh, left Petrified Forest and we're all like, all right, now we're driving toward Phoenix. We're in a desert. It's probably going to keep being a desert. Desert and more desert. It's just going to be flat and boring. It's finally going to be flat and boring. Maybe we'll get some sleep on the way to uh, Phoenix, at least those of us who aren't driving. So we... Uh, prepared ourselves for nothing but hot sand and took off. And one of the first things we saw was a sign saying that we were entering a national forest and it was pretty much just a bunch of bushes and we kind of started laughing at it, um, <laughs> thinking they think this is a forest, it's just a bunch of bushes. But as we went over a ridge and suddenly there was this breathtaking valley with amazing trees and views, out in Arizona, mind you, which people from North Carolina, including me, think is nothing but desert, it was as beautiful as anything you'd see in the Smoky Mountains. It was incredible, and we had absolutely no idea there was anything like that in Arizona, and it just went on and on like that. Uh, the landscape changed from desert to bush to just beautiful rolling mountains with trees, green, beautiful trees and rocks and jagged mountains, the likes of which I'd never seen, had absolutely no idea that existed in Phoenix and as, uh, or as in Arizona. Um, and as I was talking to Carson about, um, Arizona is actually one of the most um, mountainy and elevation changey um, states in America, which was just beautiful. So we went through that part of the drive, which I think, uh, according to Candace, is the favorite drive she's ever had where it was just going uh, up and down and around curves on the side of absolutely breathtaking, stunning mountains between Petrified Forest and Phoenix. Um, so the very last leg of the journey before we got to Phoenix, we started to see these amazing giant cactuses, and they hardly looked real because they're so tall. 
Um, apparently they're called saguaro cactuses. Um, I'm probably messing that up, but I, I hope it's forgivable. They're just beautiful. Um, during the drive, because of the elevation changes, um, just during that par- portion of the drive, we went from 69 degrees to 101 degrees in the space of about an hour just because of the elevation changes. Um, and the cactuses, again, are like 20, 25 feet high and are just breathtakingly large things. Um, and I, I think I told this story to Carson last time, but uh, don't punch a cactus or like me, don't spitefully backhand a cactus because although I did it on accident, it was very ouchy. So uh, don't don't smack a cactus. Just some uh, local wisdom here for you. Um, having arrived in uh, Phoenix, uh, for the sake of time, I'll just skip around to a few fun things we've done. Uh, Antelope Canyon. Antelope Canyon is something that you see on a lot of screensaver backgrounds. It's a slot canyon, which means uh, that if you're just toddling along in the desert, you might see a small rift in the earth and wonder, hmm, what's that? But if you take a jump into that small rift in the earth, you might find yourself in a a vertical 40 or 50 foot drop. um, And the last few moments of your life um, might catch a few glimpses of something um, so breathtakingly different than what you've seen before that I suppose it might be a almost enjoyable terminus to your life. But I would would advise not doing it that way, but doing what we did and crawling um, gently and ever so slowly down into Antelope Canyon and uh, just going through it. So what it is, is the product of flooding over time where the water and the wind have carved out a small slot canyon, again, with very high walls, um, but no more than usually five to 15 feet wide, where you can see the different strata and sedimentations of the earth as you walk through it. And it just has a sandy floor. Um, it's actually on one of the uh, local uh, Native American reservations. And so they uh, they guide you through it, and uh, you, you, you shan't touch anything there. Actually, uh, National Geographic got banned for life from there because they drilled some holes in the side of the walls trying to take a picture of something. Um, but Antelope Canyon, if you, again, uh, head to the Google machine if you're curious, is a spectacular natural formation that if you walk through it, um, you're just blown away by the rock formations as you see them outlined against the sky and the different strata. Um, just absolutely beautiful. And we took, a, I think, a lot of Instagrammy pictures there. So um, if, you, if you follow Candace or potentially me, I, I never remember what I've posted or if I've posted. Uh, you can see some of our um, photography from there. That's also where I saw my dinosaur footprints. And I'm a, a giant little dinosaur nerd. Um, but I shan't get into that now other than to say that um, I took some pictures of dinosaur footprints that our guide, who was just awesome, uh, was uh, very pleased to show me. Um, so seeing some dinosaur footprints in the sand uh, was super fun there. Uh, next, Glen Canyon. So Glen Canyon is what runs down into the Grand Canyon. There's a something called the Glen Canyon uh, Dam where they've uh, dammed up, dammed up the... Uh, I'm nearly certain it's the Colorado River um, that uh, runs through the Glen Canyon and then what becomes the Grand Canyon. And that's also where Horseshoe Bend is. And again, if you're uh, frantically Googling while I'm talking, then you can Google Horseshoe Bend. It's one of the most spectacular pictures that I think there are. Um, is absolutely beautiful as well. It's a Horseshoe Bend in the Colorado River that you can look out over Um, Just a spectacular picture, and as we were, um, we actually were lucky enough to get to raft uh, from the Glen Canyon Dam all the way down through Horseshoe Bend and to almost, I guess, the mouth of uh, the Grand Canyon. Uh, So we had a wonderful day uh, doing that. Uh, My brother and his wife were kind enough to travel out and accompany us on a a river rafting adventure where we saw wild horses and some some wild bighorn sheep. Uh, doing their thing. Um, I didn't get to see the bighorn sheep uh, upon the mountainy crags. They were actually just lazily lying around in a meadow, which I thought was uh, just a giant letdown of them, and I was disappointed in them for uh, not just running around on the side of cliffs, which is the only commercials I've ever seen for bighorn sheep, so I was sort of mad at them for that, but uh, they were majestic creatures nonetheless. Um, so the Grand Canyon, or actually still, still the Glen Canyon here. So we, we floated around through there and the Glen Canyon is 
absolutely amazing in that as you're floating through it, the, the rock formations and the strata just constantly change. And um, there's some ancient petroglyphs, which means that um, ancient peoples have carved um, carvings into the rock wall, and you can go look at them. And so that was super fun as well. I'm sure I took pictures. And then you float through Horseshoe Bend, and um, people are looking down at you and um, y yelling things at you. Uh, but it's uh, super fun. I cannot recommend highly enough floating through Glen Canyon. Uh, Horseshoe Bend, uh, we saw that at nightfall from above and took pictures there. Absolutely beautiful. I think if I tried to keep adding superlatives um, and adjectives to what we uh, have seen out here in the southwest, they would fail me. So I'll, I'll try to stop saying things like um, breathtaking and fantastically and fabulously beautiful because it really is. Um, it's amazing all these things are mostly free to see because they are just spectacular. Uh, the Grand Canyon, funny story, we went to see the South Rim of the Grand Canyon and Aaron, me, thought the South Rim was one unique specific place um, and it turns out that the South Rim of the Grand Canyon is just that, it's the entire South Rim. So Candace and I were driving along with the puppies uh, getting out here and there to take pictures off the south rim of the Grand Canyon. And I was like, these are all amazing, but when are we going to get to the south rim? Um, only a few moments later to find out the whole experience had been the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Um, so I'll try to reserve my, my last superlative for this. Uh, the most spectacular thing I think I've seen here is looking out over the south rim of the Grand Canyon into what appears to be a cleft in the earth that just goes on forever and shows you a heretofore unimagined amount of stratification in the rock and depth and complexity and breathtaking beauty that is just um, overmatches anything that I've seen up to this point in my life and uh, potentially shan't be matched because apparently it is the grandest of canyons um, and kind of uh, hard to find a canyon that compares to it. Uh, so the Grand Canyon, uh, if you haven't gone, you should go. It's absolutely beautiful. And um, again, many thanks to my wife for uh, planning out so well our trip there and to the puppies for being such good sports on a hot day going to see the Grand Canyon. A few more highlights. Uh, there's an arboretum in Phoenix, Arizona, where we've uh, been staying, where you can go see the local cactuses and aloe plants and uh, flowers. It's really well done had just a, uh, a wonderful experience there. My sister was uh, kind enough to uh, fly out here and enjoy that with us. So we had a really fun day at the Arboretum in Phoenix. One of our other favorite places out here that you can just drive to is uh, Sedona, Arizona. And we took a pink Jeep tour there, which is uh, eponymous as it may be, a pink Jeep filled with uh, gawking tourists as you drive through the uh, mountains surrounding Sedona. Sedona itself is um, at least one of the top three most beautiful towns I've ever seen. It's located out in the, uh, the mountainy regions of uh, Phoenix. Um, the red rocks out there are amazing. As you're driving into Sedona, you can start to see on the, the rock faces, you have you know the regular grayish, blackish, whitish rock that starts to mix with a beautiful red color of rock as you get up towards uh, Sedona. And by the time you're in Sedona, the red rocks are prevalent there. Um, and so we've, we've had some really fun times hiking and walking and taking the puppies around there. And that is uh, close to there is where we stayed uh, last weekend, where we were able to do some astral photography, uh, which was just about my favorite part of the trip so far my phone to a greater or lesser extent it's the uh, hashtag google pixel 4 xl it allows you to do astral photography which is basically a five minute exposure of the night sky and then it stitches it all together with computational photography and allows you to get pictures of the stars and um again i guess hashtag instagram if you're interested but it allowed us to see pictures of the milky way um which is just so beautiful in photographs. And going back to what I was talking about before, if you just sit outside, um, as Candace and I did on the Friday night that we got there, and you just look at the star for, I think, about four, uh, four hours, look at the stars together. Um, it's one of my favorite memories with her, and of course the puppies, um, as they were just gambling around in the moonlight and the starlight, um, but also just looking up at our, uh, our native galaxy, the Milky Way, and all the different stars 
it was absolutely beautiful and worshipful and a wonderful time with Candace and being out in nature. I really enjoyed it. So that concludes that part of the story. Very quickly, things I've missed so far. Definitely family. Uh, we live pretty close to um, a lot of Candace's family, and my, my mom has recently moved to the Raleigh area, so definitely missing out on spending time with them and looking forward to um, the times we'll get to spend with them in the near future. Also missed our neighbors. We have a, a great cul-de-sac where we live with some really uh, wonderful people, and I, I really miss having our neighbors close. Um, I haven't really gotten to uh, know many of our neighbors here in Phoenix because people get home and they just hide indoors and never come out. So um, I've missed having our neighbors around. Also very much missed our church family. Um, it's it's nice to be able to stay in contact through Zoom and phone calls and things, but there's no, no substitute for having a, a good local church family. Things I've not missed, again, the humidity. Uh, I guess it, I've, I've already beat that dead horse. Um, also, we've not missed having a regular-sized house. We're here in a lovely little small apartment, and I'll tell you, it's so nice to just have, like, two main living spaces, the bedroom and then everything else. It's just been a really nice, relaxing experience. Um, Candace and I have often remarked on how if we um, sell our current houses, which is just a normal-sized house, and get a new one at some point in our lives, it might be nice to just get a very small place because it's a simpler, nicer, not nicer, but it's just a really simple, fun, refresh, uh, refreshing experience to be in a small space with each other. Um, it's also... Um, I don't use forced in a bad way, but kind of forced Candace and I to spend a uh, good time together and to uh, reflect on uh, our relationship and I think to really glow, uh, grow closer to each other. I think that's the, the last thing I'll probably say in, uh, in this podcast because I've probably kept you entirely long, uh, too long already. Uh, but being, being close to one's spouse, uh, driving across a car and being stuck in there with her, uh, and then also being stuck in a small place, uh, with her for 13 weeks has actually been a really joyful experience for me. Uh, you never really know if you like someone until you can't get away from them. And uh, this has been in the very best way, not being able to get away from each other. And I've been very uh, pleased with the opportunity to work on our relationship and grow closer to one another and just appreciate her more as a person and um, remember a lot of the reasons that I wanted to marry her in the first place because we've spent more time just one-on-one -on -one with each other because it's mostly just us out here other than the uh, the family and friends that have been so kind to fly out here and join us. But mostly it's just been us and it's just been a wonderful time to reconnect with her and get closer to her and spend some time thinking about the ways that I really appreciate her as a person and uh, love her deeply and I'm very grateful for her. So uh, before I wax entirely too sycophantic, I suppose I'll wrap it up there. Um, enjoyed talking at you tonight and uh, look forward to speaking to you again with Carson. I uh, hope you all have an absolutely wonderful rest of your day wherever you're at. Um, feel free to uh, reach out with any thoughts or questions or comments. As always, um, we're always happy to uh, talk to anybody who uh, takes an interest in our little podcast here and um, hear your reflections and uh, interact with you. So have a wonderful rest of your day, and I will talk to you later.